Well, good morning, everyone. You may be seated. Today's a special day as we have the distinct pleasure of welcoming um, the Reverend Deacon Michael Coppola to be with us today. He is a church planter in our diocese, and he's here with his wife, Angie, and their nine kids. And so please extend a warm welcome to them. And they are, I don't remember all your names, guys, sorry. Um, they drove all the way down from Dillsburg, Pennsylvania. They are planting a new ACNA church in Dillsburg. How many, many of you know where Dillsburg, Pennsylvania is? Got a few of you. So it's kind of northwest of York or southwest of Harrisonburg or Harrisburg, rather, in that area. And so I've had the pleasure in the past several months of getting to know Deacon Mike. He'll be ordained a priest next Sunday afternoon at four o'clock in Carnesville, West Virginia, and looking forward to being at that ordination, hopefully as well. Um, but we are also privileged to be able to now partner with them through financial support and God willing in other ways in the days ahead. But he is going to be our guest preacher this morning. So would you please extend a warm All Saints welcome to Deacon Michael. Good morning, church. God bless you. We're going to be looking at our passage this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you want to open up your Bible apps or your Bibles, we'll be going verse by verse, starting in verse 4. After the service, I would love to spend more time with you. I'm going to be out at the table. Me and my 500 children would be more than happy to greet you and bless you. And we're so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having us. As you're opening up your scripture, let us pray. Holy Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And God's church said, amen. Okay, we are in 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be going verse by verse, starting in verse 4. There is something special that happens to the soul of a loving parent when they look into the eyes of their newborn baby. Those precious eyes, those beautiful baby eyes hold in them an amazing innocence and love, and you just fall in love. And if they're my kids, it's those cheeks. I just love those little chubby cheeks. With all nine of my children, seeing those eyes, I fell in love, and something welled up inside of me. I wanted to teach them and impart to them all the most important things of life to get them ready. I think Paul is now on the other end of life doing the same thing. He's a spiritual father, and he's speaking to his spiritual son, Timothy, except he's on the other end facing death. This letter is written from prison. Paul is soon to face execution, and he's wanting to impart and speak into the life of his spiritual son to prepare him for all that God has for him in the days ahead. I believe he's calling Timothy in this text afresh to live out a radical discipleship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And as we read and as we hear, I believe God would call us afresh to this same discipleship that can be summed up in three words found in our text, which will be my points. Those three words are faith, flame, and follow. Faith, flame, and follow. So let's jump into verse four. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. 
So discipleship calls for faith, a robust faith, a living faith. Now, Paul praises Timothy for his sincere faith. And in other translations, it says, your genuine faith in the New King James. Another translation says, your non-hypocritical faith. My friends, Timothy is being praised for a faith that is real and he's going to need it. For his faith, like Paul's, would be tested by fire. Church history tells us that Timothy goes on to be the bishop at Ephesus and he too is martyred for his faith. So, what makes a genuine faith? Now, we could talk about this in many ways. Like faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, something found in the book of Hebrews. Yet from this text, let's look at faith as being a multi-generational faith and a personal faith that dwells in us. Notice how Timothy first talks about I mean, Paul talks to Timothy about a multi-generational faith. It came first from his grandma, then from his mama, and now to him. Timothy did not come up with his own faith based on his feelings or his own ideas, but it was a faith received from the saints who had come before him. And it was a strong faith. It was a tested faith through which it had now passed through two other generations. My dear friends, we need to champion a multi-generational faith. First, our own faith is not made up by our own fancies. We've received our faith. Listen to the Apostle Jude. He says in Jude 1.3, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting to contend earnestly for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. We have received our faith and it's a solid faith. It's come before us and been passed down. Friends, the creeds matter. Reciting the liturgy matters. We're being shaped and molded to have a robust and solid faith as we stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. It is an apostolic Catholic faith, and we should seek for nothing less. I'm going to talk about this more in my last point. But for now, let's look at a faith that is multi-generational, that I like to call the faith of Abraham, the faith of Isaac, and the faith of Jacob. We see this phrase in the Old Testament, three generations. We need all three generations in the church. We need a faith of the elders, the faith of the middle age, and the faith of the younger. No matter what bracket you find yourself in, my friend, we need your faith. Can the powers of darkness stand against a praying grandma? Come on, church. Can the powers of darkness stand against a praying grandma? Can the powers of darkness stand against a spirit-filled mama who is bent on discipling her babies? Fathers, can the darkness prevail against men who will cry out for their children day and night, just as Paul said he did for Timothy? No. Young Timothys, the gates of hell will not prevail against an army that has a faith like Timothy's. In all these things, we say yes to having this type of faith. We want fathers, we want mothers, we want grandparents, and we want children. God is calling us to be disciples who make multi-generational disciples, burning in the faith. 
Now, at our church plant, at Christ the Redeemer Anglican, I'm asking for intercessors here in this church who will pray for us that God would fill his church with three generations. We're praying for a church that would be filled with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, just as the prophet Joel prophesied. Listen, as it's quoted in the book of Acts, for three generations. And in the last days, it shall be. God declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Sons and daughters, there's the first generation, shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, there's your second. And your old men shall dream dreams. Church, we need all three generations, amen? amen. Now, Timothy was cited for having a great faith like his mom and grandma. And as we move on and looking at this faith, it was actually in him. In fact, the word dwelling is used in faith. Now, we, this is an old word we'd say about our homes. We call them our dwellings. Because God is not content with a borrowed faith, but a faith that actually lives in us, takes possession of us, and that we confirm as our own. Now, that is why as Anglicans, we disciple our children towards confirmation. The grace that we confirm our gift in front of the whole church by the laying on of hands of Bishop. But my friends, it is not just for children. It is good and it is right to publicly confirm your faith at any age in front of the church and Bishop because this is robust faith. I believe God wants to fill us with his spirit by the laying on of hands of the bishop as we confirm our faith. Now, before we move on to the next point, let me elaborate just for a few moments on personal faith. Would you say that you have owned your faith? Hear these blessed words from the text in verse nine. It is, this is who? Jesus saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Oh, Paul, that's some good gospel preaching. And I believe if he was here today, he'd ask us and say, have you placed your faith in Christ and experienced and received his salvation? Have you by faith traded your guilt, your shame and sin for his blessed holiness and righteousness? Have you by faith experienced amazing grace because of the shed blood of Jesus? Have you by faith received assurance of eternal life and immortality by this glorious gospel? Oh my friends, if not, Today is the day. You watching online, we love you. We're, we're calling for you as well to have this type of faith because the scriptures promise that any who call on his name shall be saved. Hallelujah. What a good promise. Call on his name. It moves us to our second point in the text. Flame. Flame. Let's read in verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in his sufferings for the gospel by the power of God. Now, God had not left Timothy in Ephesus 
to be a disciple under his own power. He had given Timothy the power of the precious Holy Spirit. The Spirit's power, the gift that was promised in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, is given to Timothy with this charge, that he must fan it into a flame. Now, remember the context of where Timothy is at. The weight of the ministry is falling heavily on Timothy's young shoulders. His spiritual father and mentor awaits execution in Rome and opposition mounts in Ephesus and more persecution is on the horizon. Timothy may be tempted to give up and Paul wants to encourage him. Timothy, you've come from a long line of God's faithful servants. Let, let your heart be bold. He must not let the flagging flame of faith go out, but let it be rekindled into a flame and the gift given to fight on. This is something Lawrence Farley elaborates on as a theologian. And I believe it admonishes us. What is our Ephesus? Where are we at in our neighborhoods, in our jobs? And would God be calling us, and I believe he is, to fan into flame the gift given to us? So once again, I make the appeal to you, if you're not confirmed, receive the precious gift of confirmation and the grace that comes by the laying on of bishop's hands. How can we do it? How can we fan into flame and have a consuming fire that will give heat and light to others? John Wesley, one of my favorite preachers, says that there are five ordinary ways in which we can fan into flame. He called them the ordinary means of grace. If we practice these, and I mean practice them, I believe God would blow on this flame and turn it into a consuming fire. He said, first off, prayer. Secondly, Ardent study of God's word. Three, fasting. Four, receiving the Lord's Supper or the sacraments. And five, Christian fellowship. These are the ordinary means of grace in which God will put logs on the fire of our hearts so the Holy Spirit can build a consuming fire. My friends, what will happen if as a church we fan into flame the gift of God inside of us. Well, the text tells us we will experience victory over the spirit of fear. We will walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We will walk in love. We will walk with self-control and a sound mind. Oh, friends, let us fan into flame the gift of God in our lives. Now, the flame also compels us to preach the gospel. Timothy was challenged by Paul to go and preach and not let shame of any kind stop us from preaching. As you might guess, some of my teachers growing up said that I like to talk too much. And I'm a bit Gregorious in my personality, and as you can tell, I'm a bit loud. But you don't have to be me to be a preacher. Praise God that the church is not full of Mike Capolas, amen? God has given unique graces to each one of us to preach. So, let us release the coffee evangelists. Let us release evangelism over soup and salad. Hallelujah. Where the gentle preachers of righteousness can share in a quieter voice, less Gregorious. Oh, but the power of the Holy Spirit is promised to be there so that the darkness can be pushed back and the light can win in the lives of those who are lost. Now, we cannot let fear and shame stand as giants and resist and mock us. Fear wants to cast a shadow over us and then condemn us from not stepping forth in the gospel preaching. 
And friends, there is a worse scourge in many nations than the scourge of shame. Like Paul, like Timothy, some are going to spill their blood for the gospel's sake. Yet God calls us to be a bold witness and not be ashamed of him. Why? Why does God call us to this end? Because God's spirit offers us real freedom. Freedom lies in being accepted in Christ, even if the world shames us. The very fire of God offers us the pleasure of God when we walk in obedience, despite what we might suffer for gospel's sake. It is by his power that we can do this, despite our weaknesses. Though the flame of God lead us into suffering, remember the words of, our, of the Apostle Paul elsewhere. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. This is something the Lord Jesus spoke to him. And then Paul turns around and says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. My friends, would you seek to stir the flame of God in your own life? Would you seek to walk in the power of Jesus at your job, in your home, in your neighborhood? And once again, I make an appeal for prayer that Christ the Redeemer church plant will be consumed with the fire of God's love. Every Wednesday and every Friday, we fast asking God that he would fill us with the Ephesians 3, 14 promise that the father of glory would give to us the precious spirit of God, that we would be rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus and that we would know how wide and deep and long and high is the love of Christ and that he would give us the fullness of God. What does it look like when a man or a woman is filled with the fullness of God? I don't know, but I want it. And I compel, I'm compelled by the Spirit to ask you for that same hunger and zeal. I've got six more hours. Pastor said I can go to five o'clock. Is that okay? No prayer. <laughs> Let's conclude with point number three, the word follow. The word follow. In verse 13, Paul says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Now, Paul instructed Timothy to follow him, to preach and follow him in his apostolic pattern, to follow him in this pattern by faith and love in Jesus Christ. For Paul had blazed the trail, a proven trail, a tested trail for Timothy to follow. So what does it mean for us to follow? Well, of course, it's simple things like proceed or come, to engage or walk along and be beside. The word follow in the Gospels is used 33 times. Most of it is used in relation to following Jesus because being a disciple is being a follower. It's at the heart of discipleship because it is an action word. It is a verb. Being a disciple is not a passive experience. It is one of action in which we stop going our own way and we start following Jesus' way. Now, notice how the Apostle Paul relates this following as a pattern for Timothy. It's an apostolic pattern that is handed down to us. Now, we know some of these ancient patterns and examples because they're recorded right in Scripture. They are also attested elsewhere in documents that let us actually know what they were doing to train disciples to make them proven and tested strong men and women of faith. So what I'm going to do is quote some of them to you, and I want you to tell me where you've seen this pattern before. 
Let's start in Holy Scripture. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, and the breaking of bread in prayers. Justin Martyr then tells us what they were doing in the early church. He said they gathered on the Lord's Day, Sunday. They read scripture. They taught on the scripture. They confessed sin. They broke bread and they took up an offering for the poor. The Didache tells us they were fasting twice a week and praying three times a day to the Our Father. They were singing and praying the Psalms. And Tertullian told us that they were being uh, somewhat accused of, of making the cross, the sign of the cross, in every area and fashion of their life. My friends, we've seen this pattern before, and it's called the Book of Common Prayer. It is a pattern given to us based on the apostolic tradition and rooted in sacred and holy scripture. Listen to what the Book of Common Prayer says in its beginning. It says the Book of Common Prayer is indisputably true to Cramner's originating vision of a form of prayers and praises that is thoroughly biblical, Catholic in the manner of the early centuries, and highly participatory. My friends, this is a good pattern for us to follow. This is a pattern which creates healthy saints. And in closing, as we look at the follow, the word follow, when I was a Christian school teacher, and I'm now also a business owner of a cleaning business, when I'm teaching a student or an employee something new, I try to follow this pattern or this philosophy of I do, we do, and you do. I do, we do, and you do. So as I'm teaching a student or a new employee some new skill or new information, I try to model it for them first. And then we do it together while I watch them ascertain the, 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 the information or practice what I taught them. And then I release them to do it. Notice the apostle Paul did this in the book of Acts. He takes Timothy with him and he preaches and teaches and disciples in front of him. And then he says, Timothy, let's do it together. And now we find Timothy being released to do it on his own because part of being a follower is making other followers. We follow Paul and pray we offer a pattern with our lives and we instruct and give opportunity and then we release others for kingdom purposes. Now, I wonder, who are the Timothys in your life? Who are those young people in your life that you want to set a pattern for based on Holy Scripture, based in the apostolic pattern found in the Book of Common Prayer that they can then raise up other spiritual sons and daughters. You see here at our church plant at CTR, at Christ the Redeemer, this is why we church plant. We want to make strong disciples who can give the lamb that was slain the reward of his sufferings. And then we want those disciples to make other disciples so that we as a young church plant can plant other churches. Would you pray for us? This is our goal and desire, is to fill the world with the knowledge of God coming through the glory of his holy church. In conclusion, Paul's exhortation and encouragement for Timothy can be our call to greater levels of discipleship. Let us pray that the Spirit would use this holy text to give us a bigger faith, a brighter flame, and a deeper hunger to follow Jesus wherever he may lead. Church, let me pray for you. Bow your heads. Holy Father, we thank you for such a great gift as Holy Scripture to let us know your mind and your heart. Please, I ask afresh and anew that you would fill us with the precious Holy Spirit, that these words might come alive to us. 
Oh Lord, we ask for a bigger faith, a genuine faith. We ask for a brighter flame that would burn and consume our hearts in love for you and in love for others. And my Lord Jesus, give us grace to follow you wherever you may lead in the ordinary of life. And we ask this because you're good and because your blood is enough. And all God's people said, amen.